Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. This week's program is brought to you by the Can I Kiss You program, an interactive how-to skills-based program for school systems, universities, and the U.S. military throughout the world, addressing consent, bystander intervention, respecting boundaries, how to talk about what you want and don't want, and supporting survivors of sexual assault. Now, for many of you listeners out there know, this is what I do for a living. I travel the world giving the Can I Kiss You program and many other trainings throughout the world. So yes, this is me uh, that you're bringing in to speak. If you're interested, contact our offices. Ask for Rita at the Date Safe Project. Our website's datesafeproject.org or you can call Rita at 800-329-9390. That's this week's sponsor of this episode. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Alan Anderson, Rick Clemens, Barry Moniak, and Pat Corgan Kaladi. And they are all here with us. And you can learn all about them and our brilliant cast at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. This week, we're going to get right into it. This week's quote comes from the book Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior. And here is the quote we're going to discuss. The quote is, the warrior of the meek has abandoned gain, victory, and fame leaving them far behind. You do not rely on encouragement or discouragement. Therefore, you also have no need to display your valor to others. Now, based on that quote, it's tough because we live in a society that almost feeds itself off. You create a Facebook post and how many people like your post, especially if it's a personal post. People want to see who liked or who commented. And this quote involves both detachment and not depending on the proof of others. There's a lot in that quote. So in a world where we really become more attached to approval, maybe because we can get it so easily in so many different sources, where do you turn to to like help your emotional and or intellectual search for approval and our success and be able to detach from that? Uh, Barry, I'm going to start with you. You know, there is this community of or, or culture of how many likes did I get? Uh, I need how many, what's going on on Facebook? What comments did I miss? How do you detach? And how does that deal with, you know, also our own need for approval or that concept of success? You're right. We're, we're living in a very interesting time paradigm 
where because of the internet and social media, there's so much awareness of what's going on in the world and the world has a certain amount of awareness of what we're up to. I think some of it, when we're talking about likes, it, it almost reminds me of, of something in, in like grade school, junior high school, you know, how important it is to us to be liked. I, I think as mature adults, especially if we're following any kind of path of enlightenment, it would be nice to start transcending that, that do the people who I'm really wanting to connect with like me, that seems like a better quality question than just how many. The other side of that is in business, because of the internet, we're able to find out what other people's experiences of a product or service are and that's been a very valuable thing because it's caused a lot of companies to raise the bar on the way they go about doing business. The things that we've seen recently in, in the news, United and a couple other airlines where something was caught and they can't hide that anymore. They can't do a spin on it. No, nope, we saw it. We know exactly what went down. Well, that causes them to have to raise the bar. As an individual in our path, towards peace, sanctity, enlightenment, however we want to language it, I think it comes down to me being okay with me and having a few select people in my inner circle that I can look to for that reflection of how am I showing up? How, how do I look to you folks? Because to the rest of the world, not everybody's going to like me, not everybody's going to get me. So if I'm dependent on that, I'm, I'm shackled to a place in time that I'm never going to get away from. Well, and, and that's the trap, right? It's addictive, right? It is that addictive place of give me more feedback, give me more approval. And how do you want, how do you separate it from it while still being able to use it as a tool, right? Because we're not trying to say for somebody, and I'm, I just happen to using this example to start off of social media, but this quote about abandoning gain, victory, and fame, leaving them far behind, very true of social media world, the entertainment world. Where else can it apply? Where else can it apply to our lives where we can get caught up in that? I think like off the top of my mind, I can think a lot of people fall into that trap in the workplace. In my world as a speaker, maybe I can fall into the trap of, am I getting certain awards that other people are getting? Does it bother me that I'm not nominated for those, that I am nominated for those? How do you know, we get caught up in that. If I'm somebody in, the, in a corporate position Am I comparing my position to others and I'm not making the next move up the ladder like they are? So I'm comparing my value based on this victory or this fame of everybody noticing me. I think there's so many different levels this can fall into us. What are ways the others of you see this applying to everyday life for everyone out there, this abandoning the gain, the victory and the fame? Well, it's really interesting to me because I think if your mind is going to the categories of fame and gain and all that... It means your mind is not in the place where it should be, you know? Um, so it should be on, let's say if you're doing a performance or something, it should be on that precise mind, moment-to-moment um, experience. But instead, your mind goes to the eternal question, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? You know? So then you start judging and you start uh, gauging how, how things are going. And I know because I've been, I've done a lot of study uh, through the Shambhala organization. And so I've worked with this mindfulness uh, of Tiger. And that's exactly what it is. The real idea of Tiger is, is being discern, having discernment and 
being able to be content, and it's really tied to actually everyday mindfulness. <laughs> it's like mindfulness and attention to perception. These are the things that uh, it's about. So in my mind, to sum this up, um, if our mind stays on being so attentive like a tiger would be in the jungle, swimming through the jungle with every hair, feeling everything, I think that's where our mind should be in terms of our expression of our daily experience as opposed to jumping off and saying, how am I doing, how am I doing? Yeah, it would be funny because that would be based on the tiger having all the other animals applaud as he swam through the <laughs> as, he, as he swam through the river, you know, versus actually being alert. So I love that concept. I love the the picture of that and how that works. And so you're saying for those not who haven't read the book, you brought up Alan there that this is the you know the tiger in in reference. So just to back up a little bit, the warrior, the meek, is represented by a tiger. Is that what you're saying? That's correct, yes. Yeah, and so just for anybody hearing that, I love that concept that if you're present in the now, you're not so worried about those things. And I had a friend who, by all traditional measurements, was highly successful and would say, no, I am seeking fame. I'm going to outright tell you I'm seeking fame. Because with, because with fame, I can reach millions and make a difference in this world. How does that fit in this? Does it fit in this? I don't know that there's anything bad, wrong, or stupid about that, Mike. If if his intent for establishing fame is to benefit other people, that seems like a, a very worthy cause. That would be what I would consider a path of a spiritual warrior. If the fame is for self-gratification, then I don't know if I could buy into it as much. Well, I guess, I guess the question there would be, that do you fall into the trap of the self-gratification along the journey to help others? Or, you know, how do you, how do you steer clear of that? Uh, That's the dilemma. <laughs> yeah, I the I more mean, people like you, the more it seems to raise our, our idea of ourself, and that's where the train can leave the tracks. So between both what Barry has said and Alan has said, it's being present in the moment right now, right here today, the second, not what's going to happen in even five minutes from now, but right now in the second, that is key to keeping our eyes off so far into the future on that, what am I getting from this? I, I was horrible at this in the past. I remember, and I've, I've shared this before, about wanting to go to this conference, but I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. And I kept calling the conference person saying, what is the purpose of this thing? If I'm going to fly all the way and be there, and they're just like, can you just come and be present? And I was so focused on, no, I do things for, I'm not going to waste my time. And so I do things because I have a deliberate outcome. And I didn't understand at that time in my life that a deliberate outcome could be just to explore, that there wouldn't be something that I have to measure as success by I'm going to learn this thing to make more money. It doesn't have to be financially oriented. It doesn't have to mean that my business is going to grow 10 times. It could just be to explore. And that of itself is a very valuable experience. I think the balance is, looking to how you want to be of service and also understanding in that being of service that fame may come with that and as long as that fame is doing the good in the world and it's also showing you that you're doing what you've been put here on the earth to do i think that's the fine balance in all of this and i do think there's justification for saying as you were just saying mike okay i may not go to something because i need to know what the outcome is going to be but if you come from a place of how does, how does this enable me to be of service? 
I think that's one of the, I know for me, that's one of the key questions I always ask. In fact, I was literally just asking myself that question before we got on this call because I was considering going to a conference and then I was going, okay, well, how will this enable me to be more of service to those that I choose to serve? And I'm still kind of muddling in my brain about that right now. But I think that's one of the keys is where do you find the balance in all this that then fame and everything else really is just an illusion. It's just part of you being who you're meant to be here on the planet. Rick, I think this is Alan again. I think that's really interesting about how many opportunities we have throughout any given day for any of us, whether we're going to take that leap that's into the, the self-gratification or uh, displaying your valor, as we said. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens constantly, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a constant thing, and I, and I know... Like similar to what Mike said, and I still struggle with it from time to time, but my ego can like be huge until I all, until I ask the question, how is that serving you and how is it serving others? And every time I ask that question, that's the thing that kind of tells my ego to go sit in the corner and put the little cap on and be a bad boy over there because I need to operate everything from a place of service. Now, that service may also be to myself. Because I, f- I do believe, and because I'm a speaker as well, that when I have the opportunity to be on stage and speak, or when I get to conduct a workshop, or when I get to do my podcast, I realize I am just a vessel of humanity here to serve. But also in that moment, I'm serving myself because this is what brings me alive. This is what helps me be excited about life. So I think that's where I've found the balance for myself is it's it's a duality that I realize these two play in the sandbox really nicely together. Well, and I love what you said about my ego is big. And, and what the key thing was you had to identify it and say it out loud, right? We've talked about this. Brene Brown is, is powerfully talks about, well, you know, what's in the dark can grow. What's in the light, you know, we have to address and deal with. I love that idea of saying, hey, ego. Yeah, I've got an ego and I need to address that so I can see how it's playing its role. Versus what a lot of people, you know, we want to do in our lives going, that's not my ego. I'm all well-intentioned. There, I have no ego here. Well, we all have ego there. So it's a matter of saying the opposite, right? Of, no, my ego is present. How is it showing? Where is it showing in this moment? How is it being present in this moment? How does that impact whether I'm going for the right intention here of the gain, the victory, or the fame, or the service, right? Those two very different directions. And just being able to call that out and say, hey, I see you, ego. You know, it's like meditation. If you feel something coming in and you say, hey, I see you, anger, that's different than just going, anger's here, push it away, push it away. That's different than saying, no, I see you, anger. I, you're here. I get that you're here. It allows you to address it and be present in that experience versus just trying to ignore it. Mike, it, it, this is Barry. It, it feels a little bit like we're pointing a finger at ego like it's not such a good thing. It needs to know its place. That was the part, Rick, that I, I couldn't wrap my mind around. Oh, yeah, the, the ego needs to go sit in the corner. I don't think we ever want to chastise our ego. What we really want to do is, is allow it to mature, allow it to become more sophisticated. And this is where I come back to that thing of me, myself, I can have a certain relationship with myself as ego. Just to say that is a little bit weird because it's the ego saying that it's having a relationship with itself. If I have a small circle of people around me that have the wherewithal to give me clear, valid reflection, that's where I'm going to temper my ego and learn how to do better things with it 
because Mike, you and I have known each other for a while. And if I'm going on a tangent, I could trust that you would say, now, wait a minute, Barry, what, what's going on over there? Yeah, I think we're on the same place. I've used the putting the ego in the corner to help me tame it so that I know when it's showing up. I also believe that there's a beautiful space for my ego to kind of get things done. When Absolutely. my ego is in the right space, it's about crossing the T's, dotting the I's, getting the functional stuff done that I say, okay, you're better at this than, you know, the heart or the soul, so to speak. So go do that stuff. But the putting it in the corner was how I learned to start to see it. As Mike said, I learned to bring it out into the light where I could actually go, okay, wow, you need a little bit of taming time. Now I realize there are moments that I kind of have to let the ego show up in order to make things happen. And I think that's a really fine balance. And it's not... It's never 100%. It's a constant growing and learning, at least for me it is. Absolutely. I love what we're saying here because, yeah, that idea of saying, I see you anger, I see you ego, in no way shuns it. It actually says, I acknowledge you. By acknowledging, I see that you bring value in my life. But where, how are you acting right now? You know, so it's, it's the, that concept of having that conversation with those elements of our mind and, and how they appear and how they show up. Uh, that can be so, so powerful. And I love what you said about owning our ego. I think of, for everyone listening right now, is where does your ego aid you? Aid you and the world, right? Because if it just aids you, that's ego feeding ego, right? But where does it aid you and support you on your mission in the world? So I can think, for my example, if somebody's wondering, well, what, would that, what does that look like? Well, let's say that I'm on stage in front of a thousand people and somebody's asking a very difficult question that the audience might perceive as a heckling moment to me, the presenter, and my ego can step in and go, you got this. You don't need to shut that person down. You got this. Engage, make this fun, and understand them. My ego can be very powerful there versus freaking out and going, oh, no, I better shut this down before it goes any further. That's that's an unhealthy approach. So it's how you listen to it that brings that balance and brings that support to you potentially. Can we talk for just a moment about what it is to be a warrior specifically a spiritual warrior, because I think all of us have dabbled in, in some forms of, of spirituality and, and spiritual learning experiences. And, and I find that an awful lot of people out in the world have a misinterpretation or misconception of what a spiritual warrior is because of the word warrior. Yeah, absolutely. And I struggled with that. I struggled with that throughout the book. Because I kept thinking, I love so much what this book is saying, but to call myself a warrior, does that sort of go against everything the book is saying? I found it almost a, a written in contradiction as I was reading the book. And I never, and for me, I never felt the book addressed it in a way that made me feel good with the word. Well, you know, the, um, the idea of the warriors that it actually comes from Tibetan, but it's about overcoming warfare. So that's kind of a big jump, you know, as opposed to, creating warfare. So overcoming it is then done through these two paths of Trumpa Rinpoche, of fearlessness and gentleness. And so imagining a warrior who is gentle and, and fearless, not in terms of not experiencing fear, but being able to walk into fear. So the warrior analogy, I think Trumpa Rinpoche used it to say, it takes that same kind of experience of I'm willing to go into this even though I want to back away. Because typically, we're, we're either jumping into things or backing away from things, right? 
the path of the tiger of meek is actually being there so present that you can ride things as they're going along as opposed to doing that jump away or jump towards that's a pretty huge thing so there he's equating that with the warrior state of mind of, of fearlessness but not in terms of any kind of aggression completely free from aggression no i love that alan that was that was spot on because it's that willingness to show up that I resonate with that warrior consciousness. There's something in front of me. Am I going to show up and deal with it in the most impeccable way possible? To me, that calls on my warrior spirit to go, okay, let's do this. So question for someone listening who goes, wait, I've got a job that's measurement based. I don't mean me personally, but maybe someone, well, we all do in some form or fashion potentially. But somebody goes, you know, if I don't hit benchmarks, I don't have a job. So how am I not to look at certain benchmarks as the drive to why I do or, or the drive to whether I'm successful or not? That word success, you know, this this idea that I don't need encourage. I don't rely on encouragement or discouragement. It's that old success or failure to not drive me. But for that person who goes, yes, they have to or I won't have a job. How do you respond to that? Well, after having done quite a few years of business consulting and coaching, if people only look at the task at hand, then that's all the information they have to work with. I have to hit this quota, hit these numbers, get this done. Well, then that is what it is. When we can zoom the lens out and go, well, how could this function help you in other aspects of your job, your life? How could it prepare you for other things? That's where people start to get more excited going, oh, it's like learning a skill. So to, to possibly oversimplify it, it's the wax on, wax off. You know, the application of the wax had very little to do with what he was going to be able to do with it, but it was training something. Oftentimes what people are doing can be used as a training for other things if their if their mind is willing to expand a little bit to see it that way the other thing too is that what's the why behind it why is it important that they hit those numbers or they don't have a job when we get behind these things it's well okay what happens if you don't have a job why is this job important to you what does that mean for you in your life i think the whys are what really drive a lot of this stuff for most of us but i'd also be really curious to know what patricia thinks on this I'm just wondering, I don't know what all of you do, but what I do, it, it requires to sit back and be as present as I possibly can because I, and I enjoy what I do very, very much, which is uh, teach a martial art. And I find that there's always this constant discussion around what a warrior is and what that means to each person that's, you know, especially getting into a martial situation. But for me, it's always about being as present as you can and not letting the ego be too much running in the forefront all the time just for the the purpose of gaining more notoriety and things like that and and, and especially being female in the field it's been a very interesting uh, dynamic that I've encountered in my life and had to take a lot of moments when I would sit back and just allow the males to go into their ego spaces, which is not in the terms that you're talking about it, but more for glorification and and trying to get more notor- notoriety and just had to sit back and go, hmm, interesting. 
from that standpoint, I guess I've struggled with it to sometimes, you know, just trying to stay conscious of how the students I work with want to find their mindful places in their lives without having the ego be overriding certain things that they're not feeling very present at the moment. So it's an interesting discussion to me. And I'm, I feel that there's a lot of things I need to learn about it. And I mean, I'm just finding this fascinating, what you're all talking about. Pat, what style do you teach? I I teach Tai Chi, a yang style based form. I teach it also for people that are very, very infirm. I teach uh, seniors and, and people that are challenged in their bodies, but I also teach people that are very able-bodied. So it runs a gamut. And, and for me, always it's sitting back and not letting my expertise take over when I'm really always taking the time to learn from the students that I have. And that's really important to me because they they offer so much, even though they think they don't know what they're doing. I always learn from that experience. And I always say that if I don't continue to learn from the experience, then I have to stop teaching. It wouldn't be productive for me and for the students that I have. So, well, you're brilliant at when. So, for those listening, I've been in Pat's classes. So, uh, you're brilliant at making each person feel like they are where they belong. You know, I think when somebody goes to something like that for the first time, I know myself included. There's this bit of, am I going to make a fool of myself in some way? And and be. Because of what I do for a living, there's a little bit of, that's okay if I do, but I know it's still there. You know what I mean? That, that That's present. And you make that comfortable for the person to experience what at whatever level they're experiencing, you know, this, this learning something very new and the opposite of what culture teaches, right? Because the martial art you teach is a very, it has to be very present and slow. You know, when people, mm-hmm. th- when people come to martial arts, they think I'm going to learn fast motion. I'm going to do, so it's the op, it's already putting people out of their zone potentially. I, when I think of your classes and I think that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, let's talk about that martial arts X side of it. I'm curious, how do you balance the need to have a full room with what you want to do when they're in the room? So how does that show up for you? Right? Because I assume, and I could be wrong here, that the organizations you work through want you to have as many people in that room as possible. So they're looking at numbers, but you're looking at the experience for the people. How do you balance that? Yeah, that, that's always a challenge because the, the numbers also pay me. You know, the more numbers there are, the, the more income I make. And, and it's based, most of my classes are based on that. And, you know, and so that, that is always a little bit of a quandary because, yeah, you're right. I really don't want it. I wish I didn't have, it, have to have it be about that. And I could just be, let it be about teaching what I enjoy and love and, and encouraging people to be more mindful in their lives so that they can really feel and experience the physical body in a way that it allows them to tap into more of their spiritual element as well. And it's an interesting dynamic and there goes into it. There's a whole lot of other things that it taps into because people are, you know, sometimes in a religious bent, they really are opposed to anything I have to offer because they feel it's against what their beliefs are. And then there's the people that are very open to it. So there's always that delicate balance. And are you just teaching a physical practice or are you teaching a mental practice or are you teaching a spiritual practice and you're really teaching all of it? So keeping that balance so that people stay interested and intrigued. And and I wish I didn't have to have any concerns about the numbers, but I, you know, I do, I do. So for you, is that, I mean, that I think fits in with the quote really well about 
Because the quote's really about what are we focusing on? Really, when you really look at this whole thing, right? Ourselves or what's at hand at the moment and what we're doing. So for you, I'm curious, Pat, do you find that, you know, a lot of speakers have this conversation too, which is this concept of, yes, let's say it's, you know, $75 for a class. I'm making that up for anybody listening. It was like just a number I came up with. But let's say it's $75 for a class. So instead of thinking, oh, I hate talking about the numbers, do you think, well, if we get somebody in for that 75, the difference it could make in their lives is well beyond that small investment. Or even if they consider it a big investment, it's still going to take them to a place that's well beyond that big investment. Is there a little bit of self-talk that helps you be more comfortable with that? Sure. Yeah, that, there is always. I mean, I'm. it's interesting that you're talking about this cost thing because I just had a woman call me this morning and she really wants to take part you know, I'm offering a weekend retreat. I'm actually, it's not for me. It's somebody who's a master teacher that's coming from California is running a workshop over the Memorial Day weekend. And it's a student of mine who could really benefit from it, but she just can't afford it. You know, so it's like, oh, I, you know, can I lend you the money? I mean, it's like, I would love to have her be there just because I know she'd find so much value in it because I know her a little bit. And she's actually an old student that's just recently come back and and all this, but it, it's a challenge because it's it seems to stop people sometimes, and I've, especially senior populations. Oh, they can't afford it; they can't pay for it. I'm in part of a, a right now research project where the seniors are are all getting the course for free and the books and the videos, and they're just just for their input in, in parts of the research. So, you know, there's a huge group, and they're all excited about it, and yet some of them didn't show up the first couple of days of class, even though they had this free gift. So, you know, it's interesting that that doesn't always, you know, the whole cost thing is not all about, that's not the only thing. That it, oh, that's, that's a whole nother show. Because yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of discussion we could have on if you give it for free, they don't show up because there's no value. If they do yeah. go beyond, above and beyond what they would normally ever spend, they're showing up and they're they're invested. But that's a whole nother whole nother conversation. Uh, yeah. Mike, there's an interesting aspect to what uh, Pat's bringing to the to the table here. I've been involved with martial arts for forty five some years. And what I think most people think of, even most people who practice martial arts, is getting into the more combative side of the equation. When you really get into the more esoteric, altruistic systems, it begins with the Tai Chi. Learning how to be in your body, how to be in space and time, how to move through space and time. And until you have some level of mastery of that, then the other art forms are going to be limited at best because you haven't done basics. There, there's a certain honor for people who have invested the time to learn how to be in their body and move through space, how to act and interact with another human being's body, and then apply the more martial applications, it changes the mindset. And I think that goes to what we're talking about here. If people were willing to do a little bit of internal work to see who are you, how do you show up, how do you move through the situations in your day-to-day -day life, now we're going to start applying these other things. Oh, I speak, I consult, I this and that. But I've got an internal point of reference to go back to, to go, okay, but how am I really doing with my internal mission? 
Oh, I agree with you 100%. I did. I was in years ago, I was in Taekwondo, loved it. And I got up to high red, which is like one step below black. And anybody who knows martial arts knows that's just the beginning of the beginning as far as that goes. But it was interesting to do that was like people looked up to, right? But if you say, and I'm sure Pat's aware of this too, if you say, oh, I'm doing Tai Chi, people go, oh, well, that's interesting. What is that? Yeah. If you say you're Isn't doing Taekwondo nice. and people are like, oh, that's tough. That's, you know, that you get all the fame, you get all the, all the claim if you're doing Taekwondo because they see that as that warrior battle mentality. But the Tai Chi, which is in many ways much more, without a doubt, takes more mental challenge in some ways and really being focused and present. Yeah, there's a totally, and I think it works brilliantly with this quote because what are you seeking? It, if, you're, if you like the fact that, oh, look, I'm black belt in Taekwondo, if that's why you're doing it, you might be in it for the wrong reason. Yeah, I think, I think that we get way too ahead of ourselves. I think this is kind of at the root of this entire quote and this conversation is, you know, if we get way ahead of ourselves, we're not going to remember, we're really just going to absolutely forget the building blocks that brought us to that point. So that was points of valor or being a great martial artist and all that. Where it starts, it starts somewhere and it starts methodically and it starts very thoroughly. And that's, I think that's why they use the image of the, um, of the tiger again is that you start with this image of paying really close attention to all your sense perceptions, paying really close attention to your, to the mind, to the environment around you. So I think I think basically the problem with the ego happens when we forget about that that step where we're supposed to really deliver from, and we're supposed to deliver from the idea of complete presence, you know, ownership of of, of all of our difficulties and all that and just be completely there and this is i think we just skip that step so often and i think it's it's difficult so i think they were going back to saying what are my building blocks my building blocks are openness like that tiger touching each paw gently like feeling every leaf smelling every smell this i'm speaking sort of like as, as a, sort of an analogy but i think that kind of attention and just one more thing it's, it's like listening to music on an elevator as opposed to hearing something live and beautiful like your a great concert in person it's like that's the kind of listening you need that's the kind of attentive attentiveness we need with our lives Alan, you could not have wrapped up this episode any better right there. So we are gonna we're gonna let that wrap us up. I want to thank all of you for being on. For everyone listening, so you can go to the website and find all these brilliant personalities and how to connect with them. You've been listening to Alan Anderson, Rick Clemens, Barry Moniak, Pat Corgan, Kaladi. Check them out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.